0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your
1: business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well,
0: hey everybody, and welcome to episode 431 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I have been looking forward to this episode for a long time. Chris Hodges is back on the podcast. Chris leads one of the largest mega churches in the United States. And uh, we're not going to talk about growth. We're not going to talk about church. We're going to talk about you. And Chris went through a really intense period of anxiety, panic attacks, uh, last year actually. And he is talking about those. Um, he talks about depression, about being canceled. Uh, about all the things that are part of modern leadership and leading in a pandemic. And I know what a tough season this has been for leaders, for so many of you, whether you lead in a business context or a church context. And uh, yeah, so we're just going there today, and I have been there. And so I just want you to know we are in your corner. And today's episode is brought to you by World Vision, and they care about your soul too. So they've got a new free video series called Right Side Up Soul Care, it's with Danielle Strickland, and you can get it at worldvision.org slash carry, and by MediShare, the best alternative to traditional health insurance, and the average family saves an average of 50%. Find out more by going to MediShare.com slash carry. That's MediShare.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. Well, Chris is the founding pastor of Church of the Highlands, based in Birmingham, Alabama, with campuses across the state. He's got a deep passion for training leaders and equipping pastors. He actively serves with the Association of Related Churches, which he helped found, the Grow Leadership Coaching Network, and Highlands College. He's a best-selling author. And uh, his new book, Out of the Cave, talks all about what we are going to talk about. Now, just a quick note, we're trying some different recording technology, so you might notice a few glitches or delays in this episode. Had a couple of internet issues on our call, but hey, You know what, the conversation was so rich. You're going to probably just enjoy it anyway, despite the tension there. And uh, really grateful to Chris and for all that he's doing to help leaders. Hey, the deepest truth uh, about this last year is that it's been hard, hard on a lot of leaders. And World Vision has put something together for you where they have pooled a group of leaders that has been through really difficult times internationally. It's been tough in North America, tough in the West. It's really tough globally as well. So Danielle Strickland and World Vision have a new series called Right Side Up Soul Care. It's free and you can check it out. If you want to be a healthy leader and you need something to encourage and inspire you, go to worldvision.org slash carry. That's worldvision.org C-A-R-E-Y. And leaders, you are tired. One of my favorite things about MetaShare is you not only save up to 50% over traditional health care. Um, That's about $500 a month, but you get access to their free telecounseling services and telehealth, which is unlimited. I know that getting counseling and getting help is a major issue for a lot of people. And well, if you switch to MediShare, that's covered for you. 66% of Americans across all income levels say that health insurance is a major financial stressor. So if you want to save an average of $500 a month or more, what you can do is go to metashare.com slash carry. That's metashare.com slash carry. When we come back on the other end of this episode, I'm going to tell you about a new feature we're doing in August, but also I uh, talk to you a little bit about my own struggle in my darkest period where I kind of thought that the only way out was out, not through. And I am so grateful I didn't listen to the voices. But uh, hey, if you're discouraged, if you feel defeated... Um, or if you're wondering what's it like to be in that place because you got somebody close to you who's going through that, you're going to really, really appreciate what Chris Hodges has to say. Here's my conversation with Chris. Chris, uh, thank you so much for being so honest in your brand new book. It's called Out of the Cave. And uh, it's surprising to a lot of leaders. And I mean, I kind of knew a little bit of this story getting to know you over the last few years, but not at the level you share it in your new book. Um, you lead one of the largest and fastest growing churches in America. I think from what I read doing my research, about 60,000 people either attend or call your church home, which is a lot of people. But, you know, you're sharing your struggle with anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of leaders would would be surprised. So I'm really grateful. But can you give us some of the backstory
1: on that, Chris, to get us started? Well thank you first of all for letting me be on your podcast. Uh, I admire you and and consider you a, a great friend and appreciate it very much. Uh a lot of people know actually my my story of what got me actually as a church planner 20 years ago that in uh 1999 had um a real a real bout with depression and I'm I'm kind of that glass is not even half full kind of a guy. It's always all the way full. So yeah. I'm 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 always you know, happy and wake up happy pretty much every day. In fact, was a bit critical of those who said they were depressed or had bad attitudes. I'm like, get it, get over, just get over it. And man, and then when I went through it, uh, it's not quite that easy, you know, and, yeah. um, like, uh, probably the real reason is you don't even know how you got there. And you certainly don't know the way out. It's very disorienting, which is why I actually use the cave metaphor, uh, to describe depression. Um, but, but of course in 1999, that led to, um, actually me discovering what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, So that bad thing turned into be um, something that led me to the best thing that would ever happen to me when I Mm -hmm. had the idea to plant a church in in Birmingham, um, coming out of a 21-day of prayer and fasting effort uh, that that our church was doing. And I really felt like um, God had spoken to me. And so anyway, that was was a great thing. So I've openly talked about that um, all, all throughout the years, just telling the story of our church and honestly, i never dealt with it again um, until hmm. 2018 when, as you know, some pastors uh, in America seemed like there were two or three uh, right back to back to back who had taken their lives, young pastors. And Carrie, I didn't know any of them. I mean, they they weren't friends, but man, it impacted me like they were some of my best friends. I just remember hmm. um, just grieving as if I knew these people personally, and we were in a series where I do Q&A. I do one of these every fall based on questions that people t- give us on, at Easter. So we'll ask them, you know, what topics do you want us to talk about? And, um, and, and I, was, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a message on depression and anxiety because a lot of the questions our church had given was around stress, depression, and anxiety. I, I knew nothing about it. I'm, I'm, I'm very embarrassed to say I was a pastor for 35 years at the time and had never studied it or preached or brought a message around this topic. That is, that is obviously such a huge deal to so many people. So I did a week's worth of study, which is not enough, but I brought a message that Sunday that became the most rewatched message times 100. I mean, we hit a nerve. Um, and then I was, yeah. I was speaking at a pastor's conference, and Taylor made it um, around pastors, same response. And I thought, wait a minute, this is a big deal here. And, so, and it seemed as though the more vulnerable I would get, the more I would share my own story, my own struggle— the the more people responded and honestly found help, and so I decided to go on a two year writing project. It's the it's the most work I ever did on a book, and did both secular and spiritual research and study, and bring a lot lot of you know non spiritual solutions to the table in the book. But um, but also got very vulnerable about about my own journey. And then it was this is kind of funny about the manuscript was due. Um, see if anybody recognizes this date March twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then this pandemic hits, and I actually asked the publisher, can I have a few more months to, to, um, to, to write, knowing knowing uh, people, what people are already going through? And, and then I ended up having um, another bout of depression right in the middle of this writing project in, in June of 2020. And so, anyway, so Chapter 3 ended up having a story <laughs> from June of 2020. So, anyway, it's just something that, yeah...
0: Yeah. So you had this like 20-year lapse between bouts of anxiety and bouts of anxiety and depression, and then literally three months after you turn in the manuscript, boom, it hits again. Can you walk us through June 2020? Can you let us know what happened?
1: Well, uh, we'll all remember it was uh, on the heels of the of the tragic death of George Floyd, and cities mm. were burning, um, and and people were confused, and were of course we're in the middle of a political um, <laughs> battle yeah. where just all these tensions that were happening and um and and we ended up having uh, our own version of kind of a cancel culture experience here at our church. It made national news. Next thing I know I'm in the New York Times and Washington Post and um, being tweeted about I didn't even know what was going on. I was actually trying to be on vacation. I was out um, had had tried to get away with my family and my phones blowing up I find myself with six hours a day on phone calls and and medias calling and wanting to know what what our church's stance was on different topics and Carrie it just got the best of me i mean i wasn't ever going to take my physical life, but I was on the doorstep of ministry suicide I was done yeah. I was done I just you know didn't feel like I signed up for all of that and just I, one of my greatest, um, pet peeves is to be misunderstood. And I felt like I was being misunderstood and I took responsibility for what that I thought I was responsible for. And, you know, it didn't seem like it was enough. And I don't know, it just, and it hurt. And, uh, you know, when you're a leader, it feels like people dehumanize you sometimes. And it's just, hmm. and man, I just felt like I was just this, just this little boy over in a corner, uh, wishing people knew who I really was. And, And I don't know, it kind of got the best of me. And thank God I I stayed in contact with the people that love me um, and my friends and pastor and different people in my life and was very, very honest with them. And that's what I did right, by the way, is I I never Hmm. was alone in those thoughts. I always shared it with someone.
0: Yeah, you are um, describing, I (laughs) think— a moment that most leaders have had, either a smaller version of that or some perhaps a bigger version than that, but that kind of panic, that confusion. um, What did it feel
1: like for you in June 2020? Can you walk us through a a typical day, Chris? Well, like I said, we were on vacation, so I was trying to be a good dad and husband. I had my kids there. We We had rented this cabin in the mountains and we're trying to have some family time. And, um, and again, the phone is just blowing up and um, I don't know. It just. Did you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I got out of bed. I just, I just was so sad. Honestly, I just was Mm -hmm. just so sad. You you know, you work, you know, of course only I know how hard I feel like I've worked over the years and how much my heart and soul is really into um, the ministry that God has so graciously allowed us to build. And, but it felt like it was all unraveling right in my hands, that, mm-hmm. that in just moments, 20 you know, solid years of hard work was just coming apart. And, of course, it wasn't. Thank God um, there were people saying, look, just be steady. Stay steady. This will be a, 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 a fainting memory in a, f- in a few weeks or months. And they were right, by the way. That's, it it kind of le- left as fast as it came. Uh, But, boy, when you're in the middle of it, again, that's why I use the cave as the metaphor for depression, because it's dark, it's disorienting, there's a way out, but you don't know where it is. Yeah. And then your brain makes up stuff. I don't know if you've ever actually been in a cave. A moth can come by your head and you think it's a bat, right? So you start, (laughs) you're making up stuff now that's not even true, which adds to the depression and the anxiety and I did have um, actually this you're, this is the first time I've actually admitted this I, I didn't even include this in the book but I had two full-on panic attacks that, where I had to have wow. doctors come and, and um, uh, uh, take care of me and my heart rate's at you know 200 beats a minute and I, uh, it just was, it was horrible it was bad it was horrible. <laughs> it must be it must be
0: so disorienting for a positive person too right to find yourself in that situation.
1: Yeah, because you think it yeah, because you th- I've always been able to talk my way out of things and just cuz I think I really have a good attitude. You know, I'm from I'm from South Louisiana and we we always say if you can't have fun from, with a person that's from South Louisiana, it's your fault. You know, we <laughs> these Cajuns are are kind of crazy and we love to eat and we love to laugh and that's been my life. And then next yeah. thing I know, um, you know, this brought it's just it's 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 a broadside to your emotions and to your soul. You and I were talking
0: before we hit record, um, and talking about 2018 when I think that's when Andrew Steckline um, died by suicide, and then the year after it was Jared Wilson, and, and there were many others too. But those are those are two that made national headlines. And I wrote a piece around that, and I talked about my dark season in 2006 where I was suicidal, and we were talking a little bit about like, did you have, was it 1999 you had your first bout of depression that led to the founding of Church of the Highlands? And I believe we talked about this on a previous episode when you were on a few years ago. So we'll link to that in the show notes, Chris, if people want to listen back. But did it start to almost feel like when I look back on 2006, I have to remind myself, yes, that was actually you, Uh, Carrie, you you were in that place. Because it doesn't feel that way anymore. And I guess I guess that's the the hardest thing. There's an old John Mayer song that uh, talks about when um, autumn comes, it never asks; it just picks up where it left you last, something like that. I've got it slightly wrong, but that's what I found that the the blues do. And I haven't burned out since. But I just remember how dark that season was, and how dissociate how how I felt at the time. When I go back to it, that like you said, it's over. Like, there's, there's no light in the cave. And I was coming quickly to the conclusion that my ministry, my leadership was over at the age of 40. Did you feel that in June of 2020? And if so, I'd love you to talk
1: about that. And then how did you move through that to where you are again now? Well, actually, it was your the piece you wrote that actually was the final prod for me to, to kind of be more vulnerable about my own uh, journeys and to write this wow. book, so thank you for that. Uh, I, I remember vividly so reading nice. what you wrote and that you were so incredibly honest. It had enough hope in there as well, but you felt like I was getting the real Carrie, and I knew that's what I needed to do. Um, this particular time, you know, Carrie, what's different about the first time this happened to me and the second is, honestly, if I, it's just maturity. It's, I, I'm old enough to know this too shall pass, and I was old enough to know what to do uh, the first time, I didn't do anything really right. The second time in, in June of 2020, I, I, I knew what to do. I knew never to get alone in my thoughts. I mm-hmm. knew I needed to, to not do what psychologists call ruminating, where you yeah. take your distress, you chew it, you you process it. That's a word everybody loves in this generation. I just need some time to process. And then, then we swallow it, but then we bring it back up. Well, it doesn't get better. <laughs> it gets grosser, right? It always yeah, comes to in worse condition, that's what a ruminating animal does. A cow chews its cud, swallows the grass, bring his, brings it back up and chews it some more. We do that with our thoughts, and that's a very, yeah, very, very dangerous thing to do. And so that was what was different this second time is um, I knew I didn't need to get alone in my thoughts. I knew, I knew I needed a process with someone else, that I would be my own worst counselor when I'm hurting and we shouldn't trust our own selves and our, our thoughts, our emotions, and we certainly shouldn't make decisions, and especially ones that are life-altering. So we, 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 we allow others into that process and allow our souls to kind of get back um, uh, um, in order. I heard one person say that, that that emotional trauma and depression is like the waves of a beach. It'll, it'll crash in, but trust me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to recede back out again as well. And so it kind of requires some patience. So, so you had a maturity that you didn't have
0: 20 years ago. Now, um, did you have people close to you like that were processing that with you, your spouse, like a good friend, mentor, colleague, like talk about your inner circle. And I'm not looking for names. I'm just like, you're right. A lot of people go through this alone and then they
1: don't get better or they stay stuck. So who? what kinds of people did you process this with, Chris? Well, this last time I was actually on vacation with my entire family. So I had my wife, I had uh, all five of my children, and, and four of them were married. So they're my, my four uh, in-laws. Um, and man, it was, we were sitting around every day uh, processing. It was funny to see how some were actually they would get mad, and I'd have to talk them down. And then I would share, and they go, "Hey, we got you." And honestly, uh, because I was so open with it with my my family, it it created a bonding moment for us. Honestly, mm-hmm. to walk through that together, and we it was it was a, it actually turned out to be a beautiful thing. It was just so painful in the middle of it, and they knew I was struggling, and they were very very supportive. And then I have probably three or four, like on, on the phone every day type of friends who. Yeah called three or four times a day. I'm just wow. checking on you. Hey, I'll fly there right now if you need me. I, I'll Wherever you are, I'm coming. In fact, I had one of my friends just show up unannounced. I didn't, he didn't even tell me he was coming. He says, man, I just had to, had to see your face. I had, to, I had to be with you. And I wish that for everybody. In fact, I dedicated, carry the book to my best friend. He's a pastor in the Little Rock area named Rick Bezet. And I end the dedication by saying, my prayer is that everyone could have a friend like him to help them out of the cave. Man, I think we all need that. That might be worth the price of
0: admission right there. The and and because I can't tell you how many guests I've had on who have talked about the epidemic of loneliness and leadership. If we can, because I want to talk more about anxiety, depression, and leaders and everything, but thinking back to 2018, uh, when you read about the suicides of those prominent young pastors and the tragedy that I think gripped all of our hearts. And you said you had like a an emotional, like a grief. Like, you're grieving as though you knew them. Do you know what that was now, looking back on that? Because I think we've had experiences where it just kind of sneaks up on us, right? And it could be innocent. It could be someone we meet that reminds us of something else, some piece in the news. And, like, do you know what that was now?
1: Well, I'm a person of faith, and, and I really believe God allows me to feel things from time to time for the sake of pastoring people better, honestly. I mm. feel like I feel like I need to walk through things and— and experience them to be sometimes at my best. You know, the Apostle Paul's, uh, in his writing to the Corinthian church, he said, he said my suffering was for your benefit. So, so I, I went through this so that I could comfort you with the same comfort that I've received. And so honestly, Carrie, I knew that when I was feeling that emotion, and then I was reading those questions from our congregation about their own anxiety, I think the Lord allowed me to feel that so that i could help people through that and so that's uh, honestly looking back i believe it was in some ways um it was sovereign it was it was it was something the lord allowed um Hmm. for for others benefit others benefit and so that's why i actually embraced the message and even embraced being vulnerable which was very very difficult to do you know they say confession is good for the soul but bad for the reputation (laughs) <laughs> I just, you know, it, it it felt good, but I knew this probably wasn't going to make me look good, right? And so, uh, but but I but I, that's fine if it helps somebody else. Yeah,
0: you've shared started to share this message a little bit with leaders. How pervasive? And you coach. I mean, you have some cohorts that go under your leaderships. I mean, you are you are connected in a personal way to hundreds of next generation leaders. So, and I I so respect that about your work. But based on your observation, how pervasive is anxiety and depression in leaders
1: today? It's as pervasive as their lifestyles are. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter the size. It's not a size thing. It's not even a matter of responsibility. Uh, People don't know how to do soul care. People don't know how to uh, order their lives. And most people are just way they're they're doing everything that psychiatrists and psychologists say will create depression. We, we're sedentary, we're indoor. Uh, I mean, there's a direct correlation on depression and just sunlight, uh, hmm. depression and physical activity versus but we're behind our computers. Um, I, I, there, there's 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 a long list of things that can create it that are lifestyle related that most leaders do every single one of them. And it would only take one of them to actually get you uh, depressed or have anxiety in your life.
0: Hmm. You mentioned something really interesting, even about sunshine, which, again, anybody who's done any research on depression and anxiety knows that there's a correlation. But um, it's spring here as I'm recording this. I just recently moved to my, quote, summer office, which is not here in the basement of my house. And it's a, it's a very nice room. It's bright. We have windows. It's well lit but like i did my i do my meetings outside on the back porch on my macbook and um you know just if it's internal i feel so much better when i do that do you find anything about your personal rhythms about like how much daylight sunshine that kind of thing you need to stay
1: optimal Yeah, same thing i my home office has windows on two sides and then i don't let an hour pass that i don't get up walk outside walk around i have bird feeders so i'll go out in the backyard and and check, you know, my bird feeders, or I'll I'll walk around just you know uh, through the backyard and just get some fresh air because it it really is there are direct correlations to our lifestyles, and not only not only sunlight and movement of our bodies, but even our diets. All of that comes into play. That again, busy leaders tend to ignore. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you talk about stigmatism in out of the cave. Do you think that? mental health is destigmatized yet. I talk about it a lot. Or, or if not, why not? Like, why in your view is this still, well, you've already talked about it. It's hard to talk about that as a leader of one of the largest and fastest growing churches in America to go, yeah, I, uh, I struggle in this area.
1: Well, honestly, I think it's getting better. I think uh, that mm. we, have, we live in a generation that's willing to be on, more honest about what they're going through than ever before. But the real stigma has been in the church because there's been this idea that if you're a Christian, then you can't have problems. Then if you have problems, yeah. then you're in sin, and so people actually correlate your your spiritual strength to what you're going through, and so we, we've been we've been afraid to say, you know what? I'm a Christian and I struggle with this. Well, hmm. that hasn't been able to marry up very well in the past, and thank God I think that's beginning to change. And I'd like the church honestly to lead the way. We we ought to we ought to do better at at understanding what people go through. I think it begins right there. The way I talk about it is, is, you know, if any other part of my body was sick, if my, if obviously my eyes are, I'm wearing glasses, so I don't have perfect eyes and I need help to see better. No one thinks any differently of me because I'm wearing glasses. But if I told you I'm, I'm struggling in my mind, I have some mental, mental health issues. Well, my, my brain isn't, is a part of my body, just like any other part of my body is yet. We Hmm. see it a little differently. And I think we have to uh, realize that there are people uh, who struggle there, and I think we need to be more understanding. You know, I have a son. Uh, I have five children, and my youngest is on the autism spectrum. And I write about this in the book to to kind of to to remove the stigma that you know. I believe I believe God heals people. That's 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 what as a person of faith. That's in my theology. But yet, my son still needs medical help to, in his words, to put the wires back together, so to mm-hmm. treat his mind. And I fully embrace that as well. And I think we just need to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Do you know why the
0: resistance is so deep? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I might change my mind on this. This might not be the right iteration, but it feels like sometimes in the church, it's like, oh, that isn't really a problem or just pray your way out of it. But sometimes when it's handled outside of a faith context, It almost feels like it's a problem without a solution. Do you know what I mean? So the the Christians jump immediately to the solution, like fix, 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 or it doesn't exist, denial. But the world seems to go, oh no, it's just broken. It's going to be a a struggle. And listen, I fully understand for no fault of anybody, it is. But I do think, you know, any psychologist would say, yeah, there are practices that can make it better. Any, Any reason why the church is so
1: resistant on that? I don't know. I just think I think I think the the intention is well meaning. I think they're you know they're people of faith. So they the whole premise is that we believe for better things. And and I think that's that's true. And I actually do believe that. Um, but I do think there are some things that you know if you prayed yeah. six hours a day and you made some poor poor lifestyle decisions, you're going to experience anxiety and depression. Right. And so we do need a, a little bit of an education. And the Bible actually is very vocal on the topic. You know, Ecclesiastes says it's better to have one handful and have peace in your heart than to have two handfuls and have toil and a chase and after the wind. Mm-hmm. That was the Bible's way of saying, hey, you don't, not everything that is doable is sustainable. You know, just because you have two hands, should you really fill two hands? And the Bible comes along and says, no, you probably shouldn't. Better one handful and have peace. So that's, you know, there's some practical teachings there that can help us just in everyday life. But when we live in a culture and a generation that's demanding, uh, or at least given the options for so much more. And I think most people are just trapped in that. Mm. Um, do you think there's
0: anything inherent in leadership itself, um, in growth? Because often people who lead churches or large organizations like you um, take criticism because it's like, well, see, I told you that's what mega churches do to people. See, I told you that's what rapid growth does. Do you think there's anything implicit, inherent in high growth, large leadership that leads people to depression
1: and anxiety? I don't think there's um, a correlation between the, the sheer growth or the size. I don't think my, my you know, I'm, I'm, I have more of a uh, opportunity to be depressed because our church is so large i, th- I think i think with size comes m- a better chance for our lives to be mismanaged and mm. for our secrets to be deeper and because because we've become such a maybe a high high up leader that we've isolated ourselves from having relationships with people and so i, I see that a lot of times but um, I think, I think a, someone who's leading something very small, who makes poor choices, can still find themselves in that condition. And in fact, everybody's going to have their own taste of it from time to time, no matter what you do.
0: Oh, yeah. Your, yeah.
1: your, your soul um, is emotional. <laughs> you're, it, it just is. And so it needs care, and you're going to face these. And, and, and that's why, you know, in the book, I, I try to break it out into two piles. And that's the how do we get there, how do we get out? Mm. What what are some of the things that cause it not even intending to be an exhaustive list? It's just, here are the things that for sure happened to this character in the Bible that we, that I chose to study, the prophet Elijah. Here's what he did. Here's, here's how he got there, this great man and wanting to take his life. And then here's what, how they get out. And I think knowledge, um, and, and just having some soul care, but having the knowledge to know what to do when is what. Yeah.
0: Anything else, uh, Because I, actually, before we go there, let me ask you this question. Because, I mean, when I burned out 15 years ago, uh, our church was 800, not 60,000. And like, I couldn't keep up. That was, it was a much more complicated problem than that. Obviously, I'm leading an awful lot more today and I'm keeping up. So I've had to figure out how to crack that code. What have been some things that have kept you from being perpetually overwhelmed or Taking you out of the game because with sixty thousand, you probably have I don't know eighty thousand who call your church home. Like you, you don't know their names. They're in different states. They're on different locations. You are managing hundreds of staff. What on your good days keeps you healthy?
1: Uh, taking taking a real Sabbath, mm. and even if you are not a person of faith, I think I think we were designed to work six and to completely cease from labor one day, having a pure replenish day is 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 something i think people of faith and people who aren't both violate everywhere just people are just constantly filling up every single moment and i believe we're designed to to slow down a bit so i what what i try to do and i'm I'm, i would give myself a good solid b plus rating on this and that is i'm very faithful to this sabbath i i disconnect from technology for 24 hours i eat my best meals spend time with my favorite people do my favorite activities, you know, in in my case, spend time with, with, with God, just, it's a replenishing day that, in the, in the words of Stephen Covey's, sharpening the saw, if you keep cutting, if you keep cutting, but you um, uh, never stop to sharpen the saw, you're going to have major issues.
0: (laughs) How do you respond to the complexity, Chris, of having so many people? Because it's easy to get overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed at times when our church was 50 people, you know, like, but with with that level of complexity, how do you avoid being overwhelmed?
1: I think there are two things, honestly, that people need to do. One one is, I really truly believe people need to slow down. And -hmm. and I keep saying that, I keep talking about lifestyle and pace, but we weren't designed for seven full days of technology, work, our minds filled you know in the Bible it's it's the principle of the Sabbath: six days work, one day cease from labors. And for me, that means disconnecting from honestly, if I just don't have anything uh, uh, with technology,' it's, it is a pure Sabbath. Spend time mm-hmm. with my my wife, we, we take walks, we, we eat our, our best meals. But the second thing is, is I'm convinced. What it keeps people healthy are relationships. In fact, I write the hmm. very last chapter of the book, which I hope people get to. You never know, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, with the book, yeah.
1: If they'll make it to the last chapter or not. But but I say that what you do is that we all need a sustaining relationship. And I really truly believe that what sustains us, what 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 puts wind in our sails, what what helps us is, is that we were never intended to walk alone. And 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 Study after study has shown that we are just the most independent and lonely society in human history. And I hmm. truly believe that's what's causing a lot of it.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, what advice do you give younger leaders about developing friendship? Because I think one of the unique things in—and I think this, this is definitely true in ministry. It can be true in leading companies, too, where it's like, well, I'm with my employees all the time. Can you have employees as friends? How does that work? I don't have a lot of spare time. You know, my family can't bear the whole burden of my friendship. So what advice when you counsel young leaders do you have around
1: relationships? Yeah, so relationships usually end up in three directions. You know, there are people you would see as kind of over you or people you look up to. There are people that you are over. But then there's these lateral relationships. That's the ones I think need developing. I think if we'll spend time Um, finding the, I I think it could be as few as three people that are, that you're not impressed by them. They're not impressed by you. And here's the key. And that is honesty and transparency. If if you can really let them know the way I say it is you'll always stay as sick as your secrets and you don't Mm -hmm. have to share them with everyone, but you have to share them with someone. People need to know what you're going through so that you're not again, alone in your thoughts. You're not doing that self-talk and that ruminating. If you have someone who knows you and processes with you, and I go so far to, to, to say and then tell them that, hey, if I were to be tempted or if I were to make some bad decisions, this would be the scenario that could create that. And I've gone ahead and kind of done some 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 pre-planning for that. We've already done the the fire, the fire escape before the fire came, so to speak. We we know the mm. route. You see what I'm saying? So we're we're rehearsing this. Like, if, if I was going to have a bad day, here's some probably some of the choices I would make. Would you check on me in this area? And I just think we need to be that kind of honest and transparent. Yeah,
0: that's pretty vulnerable. And that sounds like a conversation that's harder to have with your spouse. I mean, Tony and I are very transparent in our marriage. But that's that sounds really good. Without getting too personal, but you dedicated the book to him. Tell me about your friendship with Rick. How did you meet? How do you develop that? How do you get that kind of a best friendship? Because I agree, it is a rarer and rarer commodity. We have a thousand people we follow online and we're all alone.
1: Uh, we were both on staff at our home church in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, and, um, and golf kind of put us together. He was actually on uh, that mini tour, the one that's just below the PGA tour, and I was Oh, so learning- he's good. Oh, he's very good. And I was learning how to play golf. And, um, and we played, ended up playing golf every Monday for six years, hmm. became friends. We started having children um, uh, at the same time. So almost every one of our children are the same age. He has four, I have five. And we just kind of started growing through that. So when we actually started, um, wanted to go plant a church 20 years ago, he and I were the first to arc church plants uh, we've now planted 961 churches all across America. But we were kind of the prototype or the guinea pig for it. And so that was kind of fun. But as we started planting churches together, man, that that leadership pressure, stress, pace all came. And that's where our relationship really um, blossomed. And we were as honest as like, man, I haven't prayed and I'm a pastor and I hadn't prayed in three weeks. Yeah. And so, all right, well, I'll call you at six o'clock tomorrow morning, wake you up. I'll you know, make sure, and I'll check on you again later to make, you know, things like that, just real accountability and, and real uh, real vulnerability. And honestly, it's been the cause of a lot of growth. So um, I just wish that for every person listening. And I think the secret is, Carrie, is if you want it, be it first. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to reap what you'll sow. So just go ahead and like, don't wait around for it. Go be that for someone. I was going to ask you about that because there's a lot of leaders listening
0: who probably have a golf buddy or somebody they play pickleball with or, you know, someone they hang out with or they watch movies with or whatever. But, like, it always stays surface. It's always about the game. It's always about the weather. It's always about what's happening at work. But it never goes deep. What would you say to that leader who says, well, I have friends, but we, we, there's, a, like, there's, a, there's a lid to that relationship? Any, any advice for them on how to break the ice? You kind of hinted at, like, be there, but.
1: So we just enjoy, honestly, 95% of our relationship is golf, uh, food, uh, vacations. Our families enjoy one another. So we actually schedule a lot of time together. What, do, what mm. happens is that's going to build a certain level of trust. You're, you're going to see them at their best, but you're also going to see them at their worst. You're going to, you're going to know the real them and they go like, bro, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to work this through with you. And it takes that level of confidence that I think only really time will give you.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I've shared this once or twice, but when the pandemic hit uh, and we were in lockdown, one of my best friends is in Atlanta. And I just said, his name's Frank. He's been on the show, Frank Beeler. And we text each other pretty much every single morning now for over a year. And we're into that intimate space and that kind of thing. And I can't wait to jump on a plane and see him again. But uh, and that went with me just going, hey, I'm feeling kind of isolated and lonely. I have a lot of people. Do you mind if we just text and check in with each other every day? And so sometimes
1: you need to take the initiative. Yeah, it's so good. That's exactly right. And and I and and I think all of us need at least, I would say up to three, but start with one. Just have but one person mm-hmm. and can could we get to a place where if I share with you what I'm really going through, you know, you could provide a little accountability? And here's what they're going to say. In fact, this is a C.S. Lewis quote: that friendship is born at the moment when someone says, "What, you too?" But I, I was the only one, and that's going to be a response. And you're going to find a true friend there.
0: Hmm. Well, what are um, aside from Sabbath? What does a typical day look like for you? In terms of your daily rhythm, you know, because you've obviously over the decades done a very good job of like not getting completely overwhelmed every day, having a reasonably healthy family life. um, And at this stage in your leadership, being able to recover and find resilience. So if I drop by on a typical Wednesday or uh, Monday, what, what would that look like in your life? What would we see?
1: Well, Monday is my Sabbath because you know that's okay. that's Monday is kind of the weekend for a pastor, right? <laughs> so, so Tuesday or Thursday, Tuesday or Thursday, and so and so, but Tuesday, you know, or Thursday, really the rest of the week. I only go into the office two days a week, and I did that since mm-hmm. the beginning of the church. Um, I, I think a lot of I think a lot of people spend too much time in the office. You'll you'll do better um, with your with your rhythms and your pace if your if your meetings were better planned on the front end. They'll be more effective and you'll, you won't ha- they won't have to be so long. So I still only have two days of meetings. But for me, um, I learned years ago that I needed to protect the part of the day where my energy was at its best and mm. make sure I most my most important activity that time, which for me, that's my study time, uh, my, my, my message prep. So for me, that's the mornings. I'm a morning person. I wake up and my, my brain is at its best from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and it's time kind to of dial after that. So I give my most important activity, um, which is my study time, prep time, those hours. And so no, no before 10 o'clock for me uh, with, with, you know, that includes other people. So I guard that time. I don't do breakfast appointments. I don't, I don't go out during that time. And I think, honestly, that one single th- idea, I don't really have to manage the rest of the day as much the way, uh, the way I like to say it is, it's not all's well that ends well, it's all, all's well that begins well. Hmm. That you really kind of frame the rest of the day in those first few hours for me, I call it mastering your mornings. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's kind of my, my personal little secret. You and I are
0: so similar to that. That's my book coming out this fall at your best, right? Leveraging your energy, not just your time. And it's funny because when I was lead pastor of our church, I only came into the office two days a week, which at the time was pretty, not controversial, but people are like, really, aren't you the boss? But I found it was very difficult to get work done. And even now I have a brand new EA. We were just onboarding and I'm like, Fridays is all of a sudden immediately a no-fly zone. I get weekends off now because I'm not in day-to-day church leadership. So that's awesome. But uh, I don't have Sunday responsibilities anymore. But um, I want to get back to two days of zero meetings because there is something... Wonderful about that rhythm where you just have some open freedom and you don't have to you can get your most important stuff
1: done. Um, exactly right. I spent an entire day preparing for meetings. That's what that's what my Tuesdays are. So it's an at-home office day just to prepare for the for the meetings that I'll have the next two days. And then I have really good meetings on Wednesday and Thursday. And then I'm back Friday is 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 more getting my mind around my weekends. And, and then Saturday, I, I reserve to be around my, my family, honestly. And hmm. so.
0: So you have a family day and then a Sabbath day on top of that. Exactly.
1: Double weekend.
0: Because mm-hmm. you have to
1: work for yourself, too. So, you know, um, you know, I believe in a six day work week, one day cease from labors. That's but that's five for your employer. But you have to you have to have one day for yourself, you know.
0: You know, that, that is a really interesting thought, Chris, because I've talked to a number of leaders, particularly over the last year. Uh, one friend all of a sudden didn't have a job. It was a rather sudden exit. And he found the lack of structure disorienting. And we live in this age of ultimate freedom, right, where we can do whatever we want, how we want, when we want. And yet people are generally not very happy. What is it about
1: routine that brings meaning? Yeah, from the psychiatrist that I talked to, he said it frames it frames your emotional health. He said hmm. he said he said your the the foundation of your emotions are relationships, hands down. You'll only be as healthy as your your relationships are. But the framing of your health is what he called a routine a, a routine and schedules. Just be, having something and having purpose and having clarity about your day. So we all just came out of a 2020 year where, you know, we there was no place for us to go, we were kind of in lockdown, and now people have even maintained that more people are working at home, so they don't even have a reason to to kind of get up early or to get dressed or to make the bed or yeah. you know and, and honestly um that 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 if we if we can get back to those routines, you're going to sense that health again. And I really don't even understand it. I think just Personally, I believe God's hardwired us to be that way, so that we could live our lives with you know produ- productivity and purpose.
0: Well, if you look at it, it's always you know the Old Testament's an interesting book, but there were so many festivals and rituals, and you know you're you're pausing all the time, and you're bringing this and you're bringing that. And if you look at the monastic life, um, it's very ritual based. And I'm really beginning to think about you know a rule of life, as John Mark Comer or Rich Velotas would talk about. Or personal rhythms, uh, and I think there is something deeply meaningful about that, as opposed to my life is a blank slate and I can do whatever I want whenever. Because that that just doesn't seem
1: to lead people to health. And not only having that purpose, but doing it with a community of friends. So that's mm-hmm. an important uh, aspect. Is we were designed to do things. Um, I say this in a, in a in a you know Discovery Channel kind of way. We're supposed we're supposed to do it in a herd or a pack. We're designed to 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 do these projects right together, and to, and and that's why the 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 team sports, I think they're a, they're another level of of fulfillment than these individual sports. Same is true with our lives, and I and I think one of the healthiest things we can do is, is pick a tribe and and pick a pick something that you're going to do with another group of people, not just you know taking care of old number one, right?
0: So you got a number of young leaders listening right now who probably find themselves in that place where there's panic attacks, anxiety, maybe some depression. What advice would you have for them as to practical steps that they could take as soon
1: as they stop listening to this podcast? Yeah, I think, I think we need to do a health assessment. I've actually mm-hmm. um, written a 20-point health assessment. I mean, simple things from, from our diet to our sleep, to our to our pace, um, uh, to our relationships, and and I think we just need to do some type of health assessment and find the areas of our life that we're contributing uh, to our our emotions uh, before we ask before we pursue avenues of of help. And you know, because again, if if you do a lot of the solutions, but you're still not going to go outside. If you do the solutions, but you're still not going to you're it's not going to get better. So we hmm. so I think we begin with health. That was the that was the funniest part of the study that I did on the life of Elijah because an angel visits him, right? So you would think of an yeah. angel visits, he's going to do angelic type things like, you know, tell him to pray or to <laughs> or to read the bible more or to, you know, just you just think it was going to be some kind of spiritual something's happening next. And the angel said, "Hey, go sleep. Hey, wake up and eat." Hey, go sleep again. Hey, go wake up and eat again. So the first prescription the Bible offers was, hey, you know what? You need you need a nap. You know what you need now? You need some food. You know what? I think you gotta go get another nap. All right, you know what? Get let's get some food. And the Bible says, strengthened by that food, he journeyed through the rest of the process. And so, and I would say the same is true for leaders. Like, Yes, there are some real solutions, you know, maybe medication is in order or counseling or perhaps, you know, you have some identity issues or you have some relationships that need to be formed. Uh, Maybe you've lost your sense of purpose. All those are solutions to depression and anxiety. But you know what? How about we first just kind of sleep, eat, sleep, eat? You know what I'm saying? And just get ourselves Mm -hmm. healthy. (laughs)
0: Sounds like my 2006 sleep, eat, sleep, eat, sleep, eat. It is it is great advice. Who said 70% of discipleship is a good night's sleep? But there's a lot of truth to that. Chris, people are going to want to connect with you online. The book is called Out of the Cave. It's available anywhere you can get your books. But anything else you want to share about where people can find you uh, before we wrap up today?
1: Yeah, so um, beginning of my own podcast, you're, again, you're inspiring me again, my friend. Uh, in the fall, opens in August at, 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 at growleader.com. That's where we uh, try to serve churches and pastors. And, um, and of course, yeah, churchofthehighlands.com is, is where our messages are. And, uh, but thank you very, very much. I mean, what, what's your podcast going to be about, Chris? uh we're just gonna we're we're growing leaders that grow businesses and churches i mean that's the whole idea behind grow was not a growth number but it was helping people reach what they believe their growth potential is and so i love systems so it's going to be very very uh practical with with just bringing on guests and sharing some of my own things that i've learned in in my leadership journey so and what's it called grow leader grow
0: leader all right watch for that coming out this fall Chris, thank you so much for being so honest, so open, so transparent. Really grateful for you. Thanks, Carrie. Well, I don't know where that episode found you, but I hope it helped. I know it helped me and encouraged me. And I think that is like the big thing I hope you take away from this is, is Chris is okay now. And I went through a really difficult time about 15 years ago. I'll share a couple of takeaways from that time uh, with you in a few minutes. But you know what? I'm okay. And you're going to be okay. And I know it's been hard. It's hard at home for some of you. It's really hard at work for a lot of you. And uh, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. That's one of the reasons we do this. So if you want more, including transcripts, you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 431. We got everything there for you. And um, yeah, we've also got show notes with insights, etc. Thank you to my team who puts that together week after week after week. And um, really thrilled to bring you this. Now, next time... Uh, we're going in a whole other direction, and I'm so excited about it. I have Jimena Vangachea with me. She is a user researcher at Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at different points. And she talks about how to listen to clients and customers before you launch a product. It is fascinating. And here's an excerpt. There are these actions that we take as we're building out products or companies and they feel like the most important ones right it's like well i got to i'm going to design my brand i'm going to get that website up i'm going to you know yeah. claim the domain right but and and those are things that we can do fairly efficiently fairly quickly independently but again we actually have to slow down and talk mm. to people and listen to them and get a sense of what the real opportunity is. That's next time on the podcast. And if you subscribe, you're not going to miss it. So if you haven't done that, join our growing tribe of leaders. And uh, we'd love to have you subscribe and just get this every single week on your feed for free. Well, it's time for what I'm thinking about, but hey, uh, next month, we're switching it up. Starting in August, I got a new segment called Ask Me Anything About Productivity. I want to coach you. So I want to coach you about productivity. Where are you stuck? At work, at home? In your life, maybe you have like goals you want to accomplish and you can't get them accomplished. Let me coach you. Leave me a voicemail. Just go to slash podcast Click on the start recording button and um, just record a voicemail. I will take as many as I can starting next August. So uh, let me coach you. And um, hey, uh, it's time for what I'm thinking about. Thank you so much to MetaShare for partnering with us. Typical family saves 50% when they switch to MetaShare. Find out how much you can save by going to medishare.com slash carry. And then World Vision has Right Side Up Soul Care, a new series with Danielle Strickland. You can go to worldvision.org slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Well, I am thinking about you. I'm thinking about keeping you in leadership, in life, in the game. And uh, I want to share just a few thoughts with you. So in 2006, I went through, I hit my wall, what Chris described. Gordon McDonald was on a few months ago, and he talked about hitting the wall When he was 29 years old i mean it just it just sneaks up on you right i've got an episode coming up with uh, michelle williams from destiny's child it'll be on this fall uh she went through a period of of feeling like just ending her life i mean she's with beyonce and she's like yeah i just didn't want it to continue man i'll tell you depression and mental health they're the strangest things And uh, just a couple of principles that really helped me. In my sane moments 15 years ago, I remembered, okay, Carrie, your emotions lie. Um, We live in a very emotional age. You and I get encouraged to listen to our feelings and follow our emotions. But the problem with that is your emotions lie, especially when you're depressed. You're burned out. You're discouraged. Your emotions tell you things that aren't true. Uh, It told me that I was alone. It told me that nobody cared. It told me that there was no point. And, you know, I've I've lived 15 years on the other side of that season in my life. And I'm like, wow, that is so far from the truth. But at the time, it completely felt like the truth. So I'm not slamming people who give into those emotions or who are living in them right now. What I am saying, the best thing you can do when you're depressed and if you're suicidal is to do the thing you know to be true even if you don't feel like doing it. So when you're burned out or depressed, you don't think straight, okay? I didn't. That is a definition of mental illness is it plays with your thinking. It attacks your mind. I think that's so cruel. Um, as a result, here's a couple of things that are true. You're loved, even if you don't feel loved. There is hope, even if you can't feel hope. And you have a future, even if you can't see it, okay? So that's what I want you to know. And also remember this, you are most tempted to quit before, your critical breakthrough. Like moments before your critical breakthrough, you're going to be tempted to throw in the towel. I've had this happen numerous times. When I was leaving a church, when the church was poised for a breakthrough, I would get like discouraged, almost like clockwork right before that breakthrough happened. Um, 2006, I wasn't podcasting. I hadn't written a book. Um, I did not have millions of leaders that I had the privilege of building into. And I was leading a church. So it was about 800 people in size at the time. And I just kind of hit a wall and and that was it. Now, I had no idea that all of this was on the other end of that, that there would be so much good and so much life. And, you know, my marriage would get better and, and I'd have a great relationship with my grown sons, all of those things. I had no idea that was on the other side. I just felt discouraged and defeated. And when you're feeling burned out, you can't see a better future because all you feel is the present pain. And that's what I felt 15 years ago. And if I could have gotten a preview of my life today, even this morning as I'm recording this for you, I would have said, no, no, no way. No way. There's no way that... What? That's going to be my life? Are you kidding me? Just remember, you are most tempted to quit moments before your critical breakthrough. And I don't know what your breakthrough is. I mean, it may not be podcasting or books or whatever. It could just be you're going to see the sunshine again. You're, you're going to have a better relationship with your friends, with your family. You you're going to discover and feel love in this life. And I promise you, that's on the other side. So a little bit personal today. I hope that helps you. Just know I'm in your corner. My team's in your corner. We're all in your corner. You're not alone and you're loved. Okay, there you go. Well, we're back in a very different direction next time. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before.
1: You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.